All right, well, good morning. How we doing? Yeah, it was a great week here, as you guys could probably see um, with uh, Summer Blast and, and LME, everything that was going on. Thanks, Brady. Um, somebody asked me this morning when I got in, they said, are you going to are you going to do that? I said, no. And then I thought that was definitive. And they said, well, maybe next year. <laughs> and no, no. Uh, there's an end is about as quickly as gravity works, you know. So um, we're so glad you guys are here this morning. My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors um, here. Would love the chance to, to get to know you if I haven't. So if you're new or if you're newer to Salem, come say hi. So, hey, how many of you guys were here uh, this last week uh, when Dale started this new series called What If? How many of you guys were here? Of those who are here, how many of you guys went and got a, um, what was it, a puppy chow blizzard? <laughs> At least a few. I mean, I, like somebody came up to me during the week, they're like, you got to ask. I, I bet it's hundreds. And I'm like, if it's, come on, if it's hundreds, I'm calling Dairy Queen and asking for 10% back, okay? Because we just boosted their sales like crazy, you know? So um, it was really good. And you guys can always, and I don't know if Dale's here this morning, and I don't want to spend the time looking for him, but if he is, um, Dale, um, we can always count on you to, to crack a good joke. But here's the deal. I have jokes too. And here's my joke. During the first service, I said, I said, um, I, got a, I got a coupon, I got a gift card for anybody, anybody who can sneak a Cub sticker onto your car. Some kid came up to me afterwards, he goes, what if I put 300 on? How many would I get? And I was like, how many, like what do you, what's the answer that you're looking for here? Because I don't know. And he was like, well, at least, probably just one. I was like, done, one. You know? But I said, but just do one sticker, not 300. So, Dale, if you can find yourself with, like, somewhere in a car, like you find a Cubs, Cubs sticker somewhere on your car, that will teach you to mess with me and my Cubs, okay? <laughs> so, no more, no more, right? So, hey, we started this new series uh, last week called What If? It's a six-week series. It's designed to kind of to walk us through a different passage of Scripture that really help us understand how do we use our time, our talents, and our treasures for God's kingdom to make us more aware, really, of the time that we've been given. This is week number two uh, on... Uh, on time. And, and really this whole thing, this whole series really kind of stems from this, this one simple fundamental desire, which is true of all of us. And it's this, we all desire to live a full life. Like there's not a person in this room who would probably disagree with that. It's like, like that's something that's, that's native to me and native to you. And collectively, like we long to live a full life. And in fact, Jesus himself says this, doesn't he? He says this in John 10. He says this, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, like, like above and beyond, like this fullness that kind of overflows, right, uh, is really what he's talking about. And so when we start to think about this what-if scenario, when we ask this question, what we're doing is that we're actually opening, opening up a door inside of us. Because here's the reality, is at the end of every day, like especially if you're an adult, if you're younger, like this changes, and like I don't want to pop the balloon for you, but life gets harder. Um, and, uh, and so like, at the, like you wake up and you're like, oh man, today is a day. And then you go to bed and you're like, man, where did today go? Because today is just so full. Every day is filled with things. And as I think, as I think through this, right, 
Like if you allow yourself, if every day is so busy, as soon as you ask yourself that what if question, you are opening up a door (laughs) to some of the deepest recesses of your soul because that what if then allows you to dream. Like what if, what if life looked different than the way that it is right now? Like what if like all of the busyness was replaced with other stuff? You know, all those hard things were better things. And so you have like, you know, these, these, represent, these, these things like that just represent all these different what-if scenarios. And you might pull it up and go, well, what if, what if, what if, you know? Um, and this is, you know, we see this a lot in kids. Um, like this last week, uh, in these past couple of weeks, I don't know what happened, but, but we in our household, our daughter turns five this year, and, and she moved on like from, like everything was Paw Patrol, and she moved like in, an, in a second from Paw Patrol to Spider-Man. I have no clue how. And she's like, I want a Spider-Man birthday. I'm like, really? You're five, and you're a girl. Like, okay, like, yeah, that's great. Let's do it, you know? And so she's like, I want Spider-Man everything. And so like the one morning I woke her up, and... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and I'm like, hey, sweetheart, how, how, how'd you sleep? And she goes, good. Dada, what if, <laughs> what if for my birthday, I'm like, oh boy, here we go, you know, first words out of her mouth. What if for my birthday, we painted a, a, a huge web and everybody could paint inside of it? And I'm like thinking, like, hey, like, what, where are you thinking? Are you thinking on the driveway with chalk or like on a wall? Like, you know, like I don't even, like, I didn't even get to finish my thought because she's like, oh, and what if we painted Spider Gwen? <gasps> and what if she was pink? <gasps> and what if? And then she kept going, and I, like, I, like, I was like, like, I'm like, like reacting. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, you know. And there's all these what-if things. And so for us as adults, though, we do this too, don't we? We do it in a much more subtle way and a much more sophisticated way. But it's what if. I had more vacation time. And what if it's I had more money to do those things? What if my house was different? What if my car didn't break down every three months? What if, you know, this is all these different what if, these dreams that we have. And then on the other hand, right, and some of those are really good, right? Some of those are really good dreams. But on the other hand, you also have all these God dreams. And so when we start thinking about Jesus and God, like you pull some of his what ifs out and he's like, what if we ended poverty? You know, what if we ended world hunger? You know, what if, you know, we ended racism and and injustice? And what if, you know, like, and there's all these what ifs, right? And so at the end of every day, we as Christians, those who are Christ followers, hold this tension. Wow, that was about really bad. I about kicked those everywhere, right? We hold this tension that the end of every day is that in our bucket, there's a lot of me dreams and there's also a lot of God dreams, And so that's what makes this so messy. And what makes it so messy is because the sin inside of us, the way that we experience the brokenness of the world is that that it fosters all of these me dreams too. But also, I long for the things that God wants. And I go, this is incredibly complicated because at the end of every day, what I long for is to experience a life that is full. And sometimes I pull out these things and I pull this out and I go, ah, what was that today? Oh, good, this one's for me. This is a my dream. And sometimes I pull one out and I go, oh, this is a God dream. And it's in that moment as time and as seconds pass by. And what we're going to see in, one of the, in our passage today is that there's a moment when we have to choose as seconds wind down which one of these is most important. 
And it becomes a question not so much about time, but it's a question about priorities and how we relate in the kingdom that God has given us, especially, though, in relationship to time. And so today we're going to look at these three kind of would-be followers of Jesus as they enter into the story, as Jesus is kind of doing life, and as they're kind of engaging with Jesus, and he's going to respond to these people and their requests as it does or has, as it has to do with time and how we use our time. So in Luke chapter 9, verse, 40, verse 57, it's the very end of the chapter, uh, here's, here's the first person, or person A from our board, right? As they were going along the road, right? So here's Jesus doing ministry with his disciples alongside. Somebody comes alongside and says to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Like, you notice the location piece, right? It's like wherever you will go. I, you know, I read this and I look at this and I go, man, like, I love the eagerness of this person. Like, have you ever, like, this is the sky's the limit type of a person. Hey, wherever you go, it doesn't matter where, I'm in. Right? Have you ever met somebody like this? Like I've, never, like, I've never met somebody where the sky is, like, legit the limit, but, like, wonder if, like, somebody was like, hey, like, let's go skydiving. Cool, I'm in. Sky's the limit. You know, let's go. Let's just go do it. You know, and she just wonders. So you look at this, you go, there's so much eagerness in this person. You got to love that. And yet, here's Jesus' response to this person. And what we're going to find is that this is actually the first of three challenging things that Jesus is going to say to these people, right? Now, and they're going to sound, honestly, they're going to sound really mean, but they're not mean, but they are hard, okay? They're not mean, but they are hard. Here's the first one. Jesus replies, and he says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So as you think about this, this guy has this open-ended, hey, Jesus, wherever you go, it's open-ended. Wherever you go, I'm in. And so Jesus is like, cool, if you're going to give me an open-ended thing, I'm going to give you an open-ended thing. Here's the deal. I got nothing. I got nowhere for me to lay my head. I got nowhere to call home. And so I just want you to know what you're getting into. He's painting this picture of reality. And so I wonder though, like, because you can see the location, there's this geography factor to this person, because it's go, 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 I'll go wherever. But I wonder, but because the, the other two guys that we're going to see in the story, it has to do with time, I wonder if there's something underneath here, the story about how Jesus is talking about time, right? Because I wonder if what he sees in this guy is a person who is eager, he's all in, but he knows that he's going to start strong, but he's going to be the guy that like tapers off. And so I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking, you know, like, hey, like, maybe some of you might know the answer to this, and some of you might not, but, like, what's your favorite movie, okay? Now, like, I have a hard time wrestling, like, with um, Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, but then I get into the whole trilogy discussion. I'm like, can I pick one that's three? Can I pick them all? And so for me, like, I've come back to, because these are important things, it's important to know what your favorite movie is, right? And so, like, I've come back to, and I'm like, you know what? Here's where I'm going to land. My favorite all-time movie, singular movie, is the original Jurassic Park. I love Jurassic Park. Like, the, when, at its timing, when it came out, and to see humanity and dinosaurs, I mean, it was just awesome. The only way it would be better if there was lightsabers, you know? Like, like it's just such a cool movie. I loved, I loved it, right? And so here's the thing. It's like something comes out like that movie, and you watch it, and you're like, man, that was so good. That's my favorite movie. I could watch that for the rest of my life. Like, I could, I could watch that over and over and over and over, and yet you watch it three times in a week, and you're like, yeah, I'm done. 
You see, I sometimes wonder, like, if there's a sense in which Jesus is looking at this guy going, man, he's going to start really strong, but all of a sudden, as time wears on, you go here, you go here, you go here, and you go here, and all of a sudden, he's going to be like, man, I just, nip, I'm done, I'm out. You know, and so I think about this person, like, who's the person that we're being introduced here? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this a question, right, it was person A, this is a question, I think, of duration, right? And it's easy for us to find ourselves in this, right? Like, like at times, like I find my story and I go, man, like I started really strong in that, but I just tapered off. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's the way that time kind of rolls in. It's like you follow Jesus for a while. You're like, wow, man, like, like after two weeks, after two years, after 20 years, that got really hard and I just kind of slowed down, right? I just kind of tapered, tapered off. And that's how time maybe kind of wore me down. But what about person B? Here's the second person, um, and, here, and here's what it says. So they continue walking, right? And here Jesus makes an initiative. So it's not the person. Jesus says to someone, he says, follow me, right? This is, these are words that Jesus says kind of over and over. But the guy said, he, re, he returns and he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And you read that and you go, wow, that's, a, that's incredibly like, legitimate, right? Like that's, that's a responsible like reasonable request. Like, like if, especially in Jewish culture, this is incredibly important. And yet Jesus' response is kind of stunning, right? And again, it's not, it's going to sound mean. It's not mean, okay? So get that out. It's not mean, but it is hard. And here's what he says. He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And you read that, and you're like, man, like, that sounds so hard. Like, like what is Jesus really saying to this guy, right? Now, there's two, there's two kind of two possible scenarios. One is this, is that the guy's father has already passed away. And if he has, this sounds even more kind of unnecessary, kind of insensitive on Jesus' part. If the guy's father has already passed away, then he has a lot of duties to care for and to love on his family. That's incredibly important in their culture, even more so than it is in our culture. It could be weeks on end, long time, in which case this would be the case. But more likely, I think that this is probably what's happening, is that the man is stating is like that I have an elderly father, and we don't know like how much time he has, but with this undisclosed amount of time, I'm going to delay my following you. I'm going to postpone Jesus so that I can say yes to that. And guess what? That's a really good answer, isn't it? But what Jesus is going to challenge is the priority because he's reversing it. By the way, I love that he reverses this because we read this and we go, man, like there's such negativity with the lens that we read this. We're like, Jesus is kind of mean. And I think that Jesus is actually being really positive because when he talks to this guy who's focused in on death, his reversal is don't focus on death, focus on life. You are a messenger of the kingdom. Like, that's the priority. That's about life. That's your role. So whether or not death is in your family or not, guess what? You are a messenger of life. And so in this, he's being rhetorical. And so it's not a question of family. He's not challenging family in, at any means. Not at all. What he's challenging is the man's priority. Because he wants to delay. And so what Jesus is stating with kind of this, this, this endedness, this concreteness, is that nothing is to block the pursuit of Jesus and nothing is to postpone its start. 
Nothing. Like, don't delay. And you, and you think about that, that idea of delay, and you go, think about how easy this is in our life. Because again, you can have all these great reasons. I need to care for so-and-so, right? That's a great reason. Maybe you're a college student who's like, you know, but Seth, like, like I've got really, really hard classes next year, and so here's the deal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grind through those classes as hard as I can, and then after I finish all of my classes, and then after I finish my degree, then I'll take Jesus seriously. Is that a great reason? Yeah, because you're, you're working hard, but it's still a delay, and then you think there are bad reasons too, right? Like, like it might be a person who's like, you know what? Like, I just love the life that I'm living right now. Like, I just, in all of my indulgence, in all of my sin, in all of my brokenness, I don't care what other people think, I just enjoy it. And so I'm going to hang on to it. But here's the deal. Later on, you know, when I kind of come out of that, then I'll take Jesus more seriously. And that's when I'll follow right? And so it doesn't really matter. Like, there's always something that, that's going to challenge. So anytime we come to one of these God dreams, what you're going to find is that there are five, 10, 15 me dreams that are in, in, in contrast. Like, they're constantly going to be a battle, right? And that's always going to be that temptation and that pressure, especially in the world that we live in with all the technology. You think about it, it's like, you know what? Like, you're always just one YouTube video away, man, like I got to do this project in the backyard. Well, YouTube will show me and then I'll just, I can delay Jesus. I'll finish that and then I'll, and then I'll go on, you know? And we don't think about the seriousness of that, but and, and, and the reality is that's a small thing, but it's still Jesus who looking at us going, but, but me, I'm the priority right now. Like there's no delay in this. And so as we think about person B, if we come back to this, you know, we go, okay, well, maybe person B is all about delay. Right? And maybe that's the question mark. And again, you and I, guys, there's, there's no criticism here and there's no judgment here because here's why. Because you and I can find ourselves in these categories all the time, myself included. We just need, we're, just maybe not, we're just maybe not cognizant of it. Maybe we're just not aware of it. But it is something that we do. And so maybe like we are people who start strong but taper off. And maybe we've been, maybe you've been pushing off Jesus. Maybe you've heard about Jesus a hundred times but always rejected. And yet you still come to church and you're like, yeah, but I'll get to it later. Or maybe you're like, man, I know that Jesus has been asking me to follow him and, you know, in these little bit harder ways, but I'm really just content with just kind of the, the mediocre kind of Jesus life. And so maybe it's that. It's like I've just been delaying. It's so easy for us to find ourselves in either of those categories. And this is where we get to the, the final kind of final would-be follower of Jesus. And, and this is where we're going to kind of go just a little bit deeper because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to do something that, that was very common to rabbis at the time. He's going to talk about, he's going to quote something from Scripture, from the Old Testament. But in so doing, he's banking on the fact that his readers understand the story around that which he's quoting. Okay? So here's this guy. The guy, they're, they're continuing to walk, Right? Verse 61 says, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me first say farewell to those at my home. Which again, very reasonable request, isn't it? But again, Jesus' response is going to sound mean. It's like they get meaner and meaner, but they're not. They just get more challenging. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
and you read that, if you're familiar with that verse, if you've ever read that verse before, my guess is that most people, when we read that verse, we go, ugh. Does that mean that I'm, I mean, I look back all the time. Can I just be honest with you? <laughs> I look back. I look back all the time. Does that mean that I'm not fit for the kingdom? What, is that, what does that mean? Again, we need to understand the Old Testament story. So Jesus takes us back to 1 Kings chapter 19, and it's a story about this guy named Elijah, okay? And Elijah, just think for context, here's what's kind of happening in the, in the surrounding chapters. Elijah is the prophet of Yahweh. He's the premier prophet of his day, okay? And he's kind of going up against the prophets of Baal. So there's hundreds of these people, and they kind of come together, and they have this like Old Testament reality TV war, and they basically say, hey, whoever's whoever's God like brings down fire from heaven like that's the winner and so all of these prophets of Baal they line up and and they're just like you know you know asking and praying and doing everything until they're blue in the face they eventually give up they slump down and they're done and 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 all the whole time Elijah he's he's just mocking he's mocking them he's like hey 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 maybe he's out taking a nap or he's out relieving himself. And you're like, you can't say that. It's in the Bible. We can say it. Maybe he's out relieving himself. And, you know, and so here he is. He's like mocking the prophets of Baal. And they finally give up. And he's like, cool, it's my turn. He, he says, in, in, in just to show you that, that my God is real and that this isn't a fluke, they pour water around the altar. They dump water on the altar. He asks God, lightning or fire comes down in some way, shape, or form, and it starts everything ablaze, and there's this massive victory for Yahweh. And it's in this moment that there would be an elation for Elijah. Like, gosh, God is so great. He's so big. He's using me in powerful ways. And yet then what happens is that word spreads to Queen Jezebel, and Jezebel says this to Elijah through a messenger, if I find you, I'm going to kill you. And he freaks out, and he flees for his life. And this is the fickle nature of humanity, is that we can revel in the success and the victory of God, and moments later, like you're one against hundreds of people, and then moments later, one person says, I'm going to kill you, and he flees for his life. And there's this confidence and fear and this contrast over and over. And where Elijah finds himself is in this moment of reflecting on his life. And so if we were to think about life, so this is the, maybe the moment that you are born, okay? And, and this, this timeline represents your life, and that, you know, that, that timeline ends at some point because that's the destiny for all humans. And so Elijah finds himself what he thinks is maybe at the end of his life at the end of his life. And so what he's doing is he's reflecting back and he goes, okay, so the most recent thing that I did is I fled from Jezebel. Boy, that was cowardly. That was cowardly. You know, but before that, yeah, there was this, you know, the victory of God in which he used me in powerful ways. But, but before that, there was this moment. Oh, I remember that one. Ah, do you remember that one time? Do you remember that time? Ah, this one was pretty good, but oh, you know what? There's one that's not even, doesn't even fit on the map. This is the one that I don't even want to tell anybody about. You know, 
And so like we have all these different moments in life. And what we can do is for you and I, it's like we can look back on our life and we can kind of connect the dots, right? And we see all of the mess and, and all of this brokenness that's inside of us. And what Elijah does in this moment is with this profound emotional clarity, he finally speaks something so true about himself as he's experiencing this conflict between, yeah, there's good in my life, but really it's just brokenness and mess. And he says this, he says, it's enough. I'm ready to die because I'm no better than my father's. He's like, you look back at history, you look at my family, you look at anybody else in this world, and I am no better. I'm just as broken. I'm just as messy. And so it's like, I'm, I'm, like I'm done. And God's like, no, you're not. So he sends him on this journey, and he goes down to Mount Sinai. They have this kind of come to Jesus moment in a cave, right? It's pretty cool. And he sends him on a commissioning, and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to appoint this guy named Elisha in your place. And this is where we get to it, just so we understand, right? So we understand this. You look at this in verse 19, chapter 19, verse 19. So he, talking about Elijah, he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12, 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. Okay, this is super bizarre, right? But let's just start at the beginning, right? So uh, Elijah finds Elisha in the middle of we don't know where. He's plowing a field, right? And he's not just twiddling his thumbs. He's not waiting for something. He's in the middle of doing life, uh, discovering and living out the priorities of his life. And here comes this guy named Elijah, who is the premier prophet, and he takes off his jacket and he brings it to Elisha, who I would assume had they maybe never met, and he like drops it on him. And that's the end. And you're like, that's anticlimactic. Like what in the world is happening in this moment? Right? Well, see, this, this jacket represents, really is representative of Elijah and the ministry that God has called him to. It's his personal belonging that, that, that is a symbol for the ministry, this prophetic ministry that God has called him to. And so by handing it to Elisha is an invitation. It's an invitation to leave what he's doing and to follow Elijah and to become like Elijah. Do you get that? And so there's this massive invitation. Now, I want you to think for a second, because if you're Elisha, right, by the way, Elijah is likely already started walking away. So he, like, just drops, like, I don't even know, it doesn't even say he said anything, drops a cloak, and then he leaves. Like, he's just hoping that Elisha follows. If not, he just lost a good cloak. You know? And so he's, like, walking away. So if you're Elisha, you're holding, you, you halt the oxen. You're in the middle of life, and you're holding the premier prophet's cloak and seconds are clicking and seconds pass by and all of the what-if scenarios of modern culture would might be running through his mind but in old testament ways like i think like if you're elisha and you're a young guy and you're like man i wanted to go to school i wanted to meet a pretty girl have pretty babies we wanted to buy pretty oxen if such a thing existed and then we want to have a pretty life you know, and like, so all these what if scenarios and like in these moments that are passing, he has to make a decision that he knows will shift his priorities for the rest of his life, which will dictate and change how he spends every moment of his life. 
It's a huge decision. Do you see the tension in this story? And you go, like, what would I do? Well, here's what Elisha does in, in, in the moment. It says that he left the oxen, he abandons them, he forsakes them, and he runs after Elijah, right, who's, who's in theory already walking away. And he says, and this is where you'll find the connection to Jesus, right? He says, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Okay, so this is what Jesus is quoting, but let's just stay here for a second, right? Like, like Elisha is like, you know what? I make the decision. I'm going to choose to follow you, but like, like I'm a good son. My mom loved me. She bore me. She raised me. She fed me. The least I can do is like say goodbye. You know, it's not like she looks out and then like the, the oxen are just, you know, doing circles and Elisha's gone, you know, and he's like, I'm off. And so, you know, there's this moment where he has to choose. And it's this incredible, incredible decision that he has to make. And so Elijah's response to Elisha is this, like, 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 what have I done? It's a rhetorical question because he knows exactly what he's done. He has asked Elisha to give up everything to follow him. For the rest of his life, every moment, every second will be spent by Elijah's side over and over and over. And so Elijah's like, yeah, I get it. Let's go do that. So they go home. And here's what's so cool about this moment. It's super random and strange and weird maybe in our eyes. But what they do is they take all of the oxen, they sacrifice them, which seems like a waste, but they sacrifice them and then they celebrate by eating them. And here's what, here's why. Here's why that's significant. Like, like you just wasted 12 great oxen who would continue to plow the fields. No, 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 here's why. Because the morning after, let's just assume that you sleep on it, you wake up, and you're like, you know what? After a good night's rest, I've decided to... No, we ate them. Doggone it. We ate the oxen. I guess I'll just follow you. You see, what it is, is it's their way of saying, we're going to remove all of the old life. We're going to remove the distraction so that way when you leave, you're not looking back to, what do I have to go back to? And like, I, oh, I can always go back to my oxen. Nope, they're gone. That's part of your previous life. And so in this moment, like it's symbolic, he leaves his old life behind, he arises, he goes after, and he assists Elijah. And I just want you to stop and think for a second, like maybe, you, maybe you're wrestling with this, maybe you've never even heard of Jesus, this is your first time, you're processing through this, like why in the world would anybody ever accept that invitation? Let me tell you a story about this jacket. Um, some of you guys might know, um, before we uh, moved up here, my wife and I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, uh, and so, you know, we had just moved down there and we wanted to celebrate our anniversary. We are not good. Okay. Just, just to say this, we are not good at celebrating anniversaries. We, um, historically remember our anniversary either the night before or the day of. It's just as a weird thing for us. Like we're just so busy or whatever it is. Um, but for this one, we planned ahead and we thought, you know what? We don't do this hardly ever. We don't do trips. We don't spend lots of money. Um, and so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out to eat. We're going to go to a really, really, really nice place. And I said, Nikki, I don't care how much we spend. I just want to celebrate our love together. And so we made the decision. We're like, yep, okay, we're in. So I talked to my mentor, Jimmy. I said, hey, Jimmy, do you got any uh, good restaurants for us to go? He said, let me make a call. So he calls his buddy and he comes back and says, hey, Seth, I got a um, reservation for you and Nikki at such and such restaurant, such and such day, such and such time. I said, great. We started driving there um, and I thought, you know what? I actually never really thought what I should wear. This is probably a nice restaurant. I was wearing jeans with a nice tucked-in shirt. 
Um, and so I called Jimmy on the way, and I said, Jimmy, I never asked, what kind of a restaurant is this? He goes, it's nice. And I said, so what should I wear? He goes, what are you wearing? <laughs> I said, um, jeans and tucked in nice. He goes, go get a jacket. I was like, oh, okay. So we stopped at TJ Maxx, um, <laughs> which is where you get nice things for cheap, right? And, um, and so I went in, I found it, and it's been great, right? And so I get it on, um, and we go, and we drive to this place, and Google Maps takes us to the bottom of a skyscraper. And I looked up, and I was like, oh, no. So we get in, we park, we get in the elevator, we go like all the way to the top, the doors open, I look in, and I went, look at me, I went, uh-oh. <laughs> but I was like, you know what, Nikki, we're here, I don't care if anybody looks at me goofy, we're, we're going all out. And so we went in and we started eating, right? We ordered, we ordered appetizers. I think I ordered lobster. I ordered sushi on the side. We finished with dessert and coffee. It was so good. At one point, this guy came over and he says, how is the food? And I was like, it's so good. You know, I'm like just stuffing my face with food. And like all of a sudden, I'm getting kicked under under the table. And I'm like, like I, I just keep eating. He finally leaves. And then I'm like, oh man, I look up and Nikki's like, Seth, I think that was the owner. And I was like, Logan! you know, like calling after, you know, and, and uh, so he comes back later and says, how was it again? I said, man, it was so great. Thank you so much. This was such a treat. Thanks for allowing people like me into your restaurant. You know, like you're overlooking all of Charlotte and it's this beautiful landscape. And, and, and I looked at him, I said, thanks. I said, I think that we're done. You know, um, we can take the bill. And he goes, um, he said, nope, you're, it's okay. I said, well, yeah, he's, and I'm like, well, do, is there a different way that we pay here? Because, like, I need the bill. He's like, nope, you're done. I'm like, no, I get it. I'm done. I need the bill. And he's like, he's like, no, let me be clear. He's trying to, like, be nice. And he said, your meal has been taken care of. And as I looked back at the menu, I was like, that had to be two, $300 worth of food. Again, that's not who we are, but that's just, we were like, hey, just one time. And so it reminded me in the moment of God's grace. You see, as Jesus enters into the story, you ask this question, like, why in the world would I ever say yes to an invitation to give up the time and every moment for the rest of my life? You do it because of the invitation comes with the goodness of the gift. It's the forgiveness of sins for all eternity, eternal life, right? You look at this and you go, man, that's why I say yes. It's because what, what comes with it is not just the call, it's the greatest gift, but it's so good that I would say, man, I will give every moment of every day as every second passes, I will give to you because that's how good the gift is. And as we think about the gospel, right, that's really what we're talking about. And if we were to go back to the story of Elisha, as Elijah entered into that story, it's not like Elijah pulls all of Israel and says, hey, who's the best looking kid? Who's the, the smartest young boy? Who comes from the, the nicest, best family? Who dresses the, like, what are the qualifications for Elisha? He's plowing 12 oxen. In the middle of nowhere. This is a guy that, that's so common, right? This is who God always uses. He takes the people who are the lowliest. And the only qualification that they have is that God chose them. 
And the same thing is true with the gospel. What are your qualifications? Zero. You don't have qualifications. The qualification is that God chose you and that he loves you and that he wants you, right? And that we would choose to follow him. You see, the gospel radically transforms us as people, but more than that then, it goes on because then the gospel radically transforms how you and I view time. Because if we were to come back to this, you see... Let's just say that this is the, the moment, right? This is the moment that you were born, right? But at some point in your life, and maybe not yet, and that's what we're praying that is true, but maybe at some point, Jesus enters into that story, okay? And when Jesus enters into that story, it creates a new timeline for you. Because if we were to come up here and go, yep, this is where you were born, and yet, here's the timeline. Because as you keep going, you keep going, and you put an arrow on it, and all of a sudden you go, hey, let's just pretend that this line goes on forever. Why? Because this is eternity. This is where you're born, but this is what's behind you. And you and I, guess what we do? We spend so much of our life focusing on this timeline right here that guess what? It's about this much of a blip at the beginning of your story. You see, when it comes to this, when Jesus, you go back to that whole Jesus story. Guys, this is so fundamental, right? You go back to that Jesus story, and Jesus says this, anybody who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about this. When Jesus enters into your life, when you look back, you put your hand forward, eternity in the story of God is this way, but to look back is to look at the old you. The old has gone and the new has come. So he says, don't look back. Don't be this person. Don't be Mr. Distraction. Because you're the person who looks back and says, man, I long for the way that life used to be before Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is that I want you, once you put your hand to the plow, he's not criticizing Elisha. I think he's applauding Elisha. You know why? Because in that moment, he chose to sacrifice all of the animals that would be a distraction to him. And so when Jesus says that you're not fit for the kingdom, he's not being mean. He's going, look at Elisha. He got rid of the old past, and he said, I'm going to be forward-focused for the rest of my life, which starts here, life on earth, and then for the rest of eternity. And so all of a sudden we go, this is, these are the people that we can identify with. You know, like maybe, maybe you find yourself as the duration person. I started strong, but I tapered off. Maybe I'm the person who's been constantly putting Jesus on delay. 
maybe I'm the person who just doesn't want to give up that old life and I keep looking back and going, man, like there's the kind of regret and distraction in my life. Here's the deal. Guys, to criticize, it's easy to label these people. The point of the story, and be very clear, hear this very clearly, the point of the story is not to criticize these people. Jesus is not criticizing these people. He's not questioning their lack of desire. He's not attributing it to naivete or ignorance or passion or anything. What Jesus is doing is challenging priorities. He's not saying that these things aren't good. He's saying that Jesus is most important and that I always come first. And so when you think about this, you come over here and you think about this not just as individuals, but you think about it as a church. What if we were church A? What if we were church B? What if we were like church C? You know, what if we were a church who started strong but finished poorly? What if we were people who kept putting it off? And what if people, we were people who were constantly looking back in our old lives instead of being focused forward on the plan and the story that God has for eternity? The point, again, is not to criticize. The point is to challenge our priorities. And the cloak is a symbol of the gospel. It's a symbol of the good news. It's the greatest gift that you could ever get. And it comes with a call to surrender sacrificially our time. How will you give every moment? Because the moment that Elisha had to make, as seconds were ticking by, click, 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 changed the rest of his life and how we use our time. At the end of the day, guys, I realize this, is that we are incredibly busy. We are incredibly, incredibly, incredibly busy. And so when it comes to the shredded paper, right, if we were to think about this, right, just how we spend our time, we just know this, how we spend our time reveals, right, what's, what's most important to us, what we value most. And so when it comes to these things, as we pull these things out, as we find my dream and as we find God's dream, it doesn't mean that my dream isn't good, but I have to ask myself at every single given moment, what's most important? And instead of maybe like this what if question is not just about me dreams, it's, or not just about that, it's like it's, it's saying let's allow ourselves to dream. Let's dream God dreams. What if we corporately dreamt God dreams together instead of me dreams? Because all of a sudden, the impact becomes different, and it changes how we view time. I think about our church and what's going on right now, community gardens. We have 15 or so volunteers or more that are giving two to three hours a week. By the end of the summer, that's over 300 hours that are being invested in that garden for the sake of the community. 300 hours. When I think about this summer, you know, we have a huge need for for summer um, kids volunteers because all of our summer kids volunteers throughout the school year, it's so long and exhausting that they need a break. We need anywhere from 12 to 20 new volunteers to step up and say, I'll give an hour, one to two times a month to invest in kids. We need you. When I think moving forward, I think about Alan Hopkins in this fall. We have reading buddies and we have lunch buddies. What if we had 20 new people who said, I'll give half an hour of my time twice a week 
And think about the hundreds, if not thousands of hours that over the year or over the years that will get invested in kids who don't know Jesus. You see, all of a sudden, as soon as we start to dream God dreams, we go, man, time changes. Time changes because it's about what's most important. And guys, you can't borrow time. You can't stop time. You can't store it, right? You can't stretch it. So here's my questions to you as we finish this morning. What do you need to stop doing so that you can invest in the kingdom? What do you need to start doing and what do you need to keep doing? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we finish this morning, Lord, I thank you for LME, uh, everything that was accomplished both in and through students, uh, middle school and high school students through local missions. I think about all the summer blasts, the kids who heard the gospel and, and engaged in Bible stories and all the volunteers at multiple levels and go, God, you are doing some powerful and crazy good things in our church and we praise you. We thank you so, we thank you so, so, so much. But Lord, as we end this morning, I pray that we would be a people as we wrestle with this, that we would not be a people that, or a church that deals with duration, that we would not start strong and finish poor, that we would not be a church who delays, that we would not say, we're going to keep putting Jesus aside and away for the sake of other things, but that we would choose Jesus first, and that we would not be a people who are distracted. We're not a church who looks back on the old life and says, man, I long for those days, the good old days, but that we would have this sense of a timeline that when Jesus Jesus enters into the story. It radically transforms us and it radically transforms the way that we view time. And so, Lord, I pray for your spirit to stir in people, even right now, to raise up people for this summer to help with kids, to raise up people to continue helping with community gardens, to raise up people to become lunch buddies and, and reading buddies and, and all across. And those are just three out of many things. And so, Lord, here's my question, here's my thought, and here's my prayer, that we would be a people who receive with the invitation of the cloak that we would take the greatest gift that can ever be given and that we would run with it for eternity. We love you and let me pray, amen.